Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Darkcast Network, where the light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Crime Con is going to be in Las Vegas in 2022, and it's going to be super lit. <laughs> we are pretty excited to be able to attend again and meet up with some of the folks that we met last year, plus meet some new true crime buddies, hopefully you. That's right. We'll be on Podcast Row with many other great podcasts. Plus, there's going to be tons of sessions, big personalities, and entertainment with plenty of opportunities to meet other like-minded folks. Please join us from April 29th to May 1st. And did we mention it's going to be in Las Vegas? Viva Las <laughs> Vegas! Tickets are on sale right now. Just go to CrimeCon.com and be sure to use the code Fruit Loops. That's F-R-U-I-T. L-O-O-P-S to save 10% and let them know we sent you. That's crimecon.com. Use the code Fruit Loops. We are so excited to meet you. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. for listening yeah. bienvenidos bitches and buiti binafi now fruit loops is a podcast about serial killers of color and their victims however we are on a little break and in the meantime we wanted to share a true crime goodie with you from one of our pod pals on the dark cast network but before we get into it how you doing well this past week has been uh super nuts i think for both nuts of us nuts is an understatement <laughs> yeah. it's uh, what's bigger than nuts i don't know big balls 
<laughs> big nuts. He's been big nuts, yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to get too much into it, but suffice it to say, we thought we could do more than we could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while we get our shit together, we're going to be presenting an episode from one of our Podplay cousins on the Darkcast Network. Yeah. The Reverie True Crime, hosted by Paige Elmore. From telling the stories of crimes to sitting down with victims and their families, Paige is passionate about all aspects. Shedding light on the dark, terrifying things that have happened and still happen in the world is very important to her. Paige hopes that through these stories, she can bring awareness to injustices and the scary reveries around us that hide in plain sight. Mm. And in this episode, Paige is going to tell y'all a little story about Jake Bird. All right. (laughs) So here we go. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, under eating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, (laughs) do you have an hour? Uh, Where do I begin? (laughs) Work, bills, life, family. I could go on for a very, yeah, (laughs) podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time <laughs> to fess up. It's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. (laughs) I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. (laughs) Okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. (laughs) Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. (laughs) There is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Hello and welcome to Reverie True Crime. I'm your host, Paige. During the night while you're fast asleep in your home, feeling safe and secure, you never know who could be lurking outside, praying and plotting, which is a terrifying thought. Today's episode is a chilling case that involves a petrifying break-in during the dark 
early hours of the morning and a hex that was put on people that seemed to be successful. Or was it mere coincidence? Let's get started. Charles and Dealey Bird adopted a little boy who was born on December 14, 1901. They named him Jake Bird. The little family lived somewhere with, quote, one post office in the countryside of Louisiana. Jake Bird moved out of his home at 19 years old and could never stay in one place for long periods of time. Jake was a drifter who was always on the lookout for new job opportunities. He grew up in poverty and had a rough childhood. However, it seemed that now he wanted to better his situation. He would usually work as one of the section gang laborers, also known as gandy dancers, with railroads. It was called gandy dancing due to the workers waddling like ganders when they ran on the railroad ties in a movement that looked like silly dancing. Also, the lining bar of the train track started to be known as a gandy lever to keep the railroad tracks aligned. Jake's job was to maintain certain sections of the railway, one person would hold a bar, and a few others would use rail tongs to get the rail in the correct spot. In the U.S., section gang workers were usually immigrants and ethnic minorities who needed to work no matter how terrible the pay was, and even if the working conditions were awful. Jake was definitely putting in tough physical labor, and with this job, he was able to travel around really easily in the trains. The travels from town to town would eventually come to a halt on October 30th, 1947. Jake was prowling down a street in Tacoma, Washington, up to no good. He went around to the backside of someone's home and discovered an axe in their shed. Jake began to strip down naked as a jaybird. He grabbed the axe and proceeded to make his way into the home. Inside was Bertha Clut, a Russian-born woman who was 52 years old, and her daughter, 17-year-old Beverly. Jake was running stark naked through their house, wielding the axe. He went into Bertha's bedroom and stole $1.50 out of her purse. Bertha's bedroom was across from the kitchen, and when Jake got into the kitchen, Bertha was behind him. He took the axe and began to beat her with it, eventually using it to chop her. Beverly heard the shrieks and cries of her mother and came barreling down the stairs to see this disturbing scene. Fear and adrenaline struck as she ran towards the stranger in her home, clutching him from behind doing her best to get him off of her mother. As hard as she fought this man, he overpowered her and heartbreakingly mutilated both the mother and daughter. It was a little past 2 a.m. when the neighbors heard the blood-curdling screams that would put chills down anyone's spine, and immediately they rang the police station. The officers got on the scene a little too late. When the police got to Bertha's residence at 2.30 in the morning on October 30th, Jake had already taken Bertha and Beverly's lives by hitting them with the blunt side of the axe as well as hacking away at the helpless victims. 
The police began to do a walkthrough of the home, and they saw a man take off through the back door, darting through the backyard and hopping over a picket fence. The police began to chase him. Suddenly, after leaping over too many fences, there was nowhere left to run. They were all put to a stop by a fence, too high to jump over, in an alley. Knowing he was cornered and caught, Jake charged towards the two police officers that had been chasing him with a knife. First, Jake cut one of the officers' hands, and he stabbed the other in the shoulder. But eventually, things got even more intense in the police car when one of the officers, who happened to be a prize fighter, beat the absolute hell out of Jake with a mean left hook to the jaw. But he didn't stop there. He kicked him in the testicles, and more details came out about this attack in trial. To no surprise, Jake fainted after the severe beating, and what I imagine the main cause of the fainting would be was the severe pain when he was struck in his testicles. For the next few days to come, Jake's temporary place to stay was the Tacoma General Hospital. There, he was treated for the cuts on his head and face. The officers also had to be taken to the hospital due to one of them having a major back injury and the other having to get his hand stitched up and wrapped. The police went back to the home of Bertha and Beverly's, finding that the mother, Bertha, was deceased in her bedroom, which was across from the kitchen where her daughter Beverly had been killed. The axe remained at the scene. The detective on the case concluded that Jake did try to sexually assault Bertha before he took her life. Years before her tragic murder, Bertha had come to America from Russia with her husband Edward Clutt. They had a son named Arthur who was born in Canada. The Clutts gained their American citizenship and settled in Tacoma, Washington, where Edward was a carpenter. Six and a half years before the brutal murders, Edward passed away. Bertha and Edward had five children together, but the youngest was Beverly, who was the only child who still lived with her mother. Their other children were Arthur, Alma, Doris, and Myrtle. On the 31st of October, Jake was charged with first-degree murder, but only for Bertha's death. It was normal to file only one charge in a case with several murders, where failure to gain a guilty verdict on the first murder would warrant the filing of extra murder charges. When police talked to Jake about the charges that he faced, he denied everything, and he pleaded not guilty at his arraignment. However, he had given a signed confession already, which comes back up during the trial. Jake's defense attorney asked for the venue to be changed due to the possibility that his client would not get a fair trial in Pierce County. This attorney also made a request stating that he did not want to represent Jake Bird and wanted to be let go because Jake wanted to represent himself. The change of venue request was denied. The request for the attorney stepping down to let Jake represent himself was also denied. A trial was held over the course of one and a half days. The prosecution wanted to prove to the court that the murder of Bertha Clutt was premeditated so Jake would be eligible for the death penalty. 
there was a lot of evidence presented at trial. The cops had found blood and brain matter in Jake's pants from both Bertha and Beverly Clut, and it also covered his clothes. His bloody fingerprints were all in the house, on the axe used, and his shoes were left behind at the scene of the slaughter. The state brought a police officer to the stand as a surprise witness who testified that he and another officer attacked Jake while he was in custody. Quote, I regret to say that I lost my temper after returning from the Clut home and viewing the terribly hacked bodies of the two women. I had asked Bird as we sat in the patrol wagon why he murdered the two women. He said he didn't do it. I asked him who did it then and he said it was Leroy. Who's Leroy? I asked him. Oh, another N-word around town, Bird replied. You're lying, I said, and he looked at me with a smug and insolent look. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I hit him in the jaw with my fist, knocking him to the front of the patrol wagon. Then I struck him a number of times with my nightstick until he said, don't kill me. That brought me to my senses, and we took him to the hospital where a nurse said he wasn't badly hurt. End quote. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right, it's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. <laughs> As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Did you guys hear about that couple that went on vacation and one spouse murdered the other? In fact, the entire vacation was planned just so that they could make the murder look like an accident. Ah, so like a slaycation. Oh boy! Sounds like a fun new true crime podcast to me! On every episode of Slaycation, we'll examine true cases of people who were killed while on vacation. Was it murder? <coughs> or just a horrible accident? <coughs> That's up to you and the law to decide. But either way, if you leave for your vacation in the plane and come home under the plane... You've definitely gone on a slaycation. Join us every week for a fascinating new episode. 911, what's your emergency? But make sure to pack your body bags, because getting away can be murder. This is Slaycation. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. 
What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. As I mentioned earlier, Jake had confessed, saying he was expecting what he called an easy robbery that went wrong. He also said he brought the axe from the shed, quote, to bluff off anyone who tried to bother me. Jake claims that he tried to tell Bertha he just wanted her money and to get his shoes, then he would leave. However, things got heated and he took their lives. He also had an excuse for stabbing the police officers. Jake said he believed the cops were going to shoot him once he was cornered in the alley, and that's why he took out his knife and began to attack. When the prosecutor went to put his signed confession into evidence, Jake's defense attorney objected immediately. He stated that his client had said those things under duress, and it was inadmissible. The judge did not agree with the defense at all and said there was no connection when it came to the policeman beating Jake and his voluntary confessions, so Jake's confession was allowed into evidence. After the prosecutor read Jake's confession, the prosecution rested. Jake's defense attorney rested the defense and did not bother calling his client or any witnesses to testify. Obviously, that could have only made matters worse, and Jake clearly committed these two murders. The jury in the Pierce County Court found Jake guilty of first-degree murder in just 35 minutes of deliberating, and Jake was sentenced to die. 
He seemed to not care at all when the verdict was announced, and even said on the way to the jail to five deputies who were guarding him, quote, What's all the excitement about? However, even though he seemed emotionless, he must have cared a little because he did attempt to appeal a few times. Jake's death would be prolonged for two years, and it was during these two years that Jake admitted he had gotten away with much more in the past. According to the Tacoma News Tribune, on Saturday, December 6, 1947, the judge sentenced Jake to be hanged on the gallows at the Washington State Penitentiary on January 16, 1948. After a motion for a new trial was denied by the judge, Jake's defense attorney told the court he had done everything he could to defend Jake Bird and that no further appeals would be made on Jake's behalf. He also said, quote, I feel whenever any man, 45 years old, gets an idea that no lives are safe to anyone except his own, that man is a detriment to society and should be obliterated. End quote. The judge asked Jake if he had any comment about that, and he stated, quote, I was given no chance to defend myself. My own lawyers just asked you to hang me. They apologized for defending me. If they were so reluctant to defend me, why did they contest the prosecutor's proof of murder? And now they say that everything is proven. End quote. Jake went on for about 20 minutes and lastly said, quote, I'm putting the hex of Jake Bird on all of you who had anything to do with my being punished. Mark my words, you will die before I do. Wait and see. You policemen and judges will be sitting and waiting at the pearly gates a long time before I roll up. End quote. This statement would forever be known as the Jake Bird hex. At the time it was said, nobody really paid it any mind. That is, until people actually started dying. The mystery that surrounds these deaths makes some people wonder if Jake really possessed the power to curse people. Within a year's time, six men associated with Jake Bird's trial would perish. The six men connected with Bird's trial, who died within a year of the Jake Bird hex, were... Edward D. Hodge, Pierce County Superior Court Judge, age 69, died on January 1, 1948. Joseph E. Carpatch, Pierce County Undersheriff, age 46, died on April 5, 1948. George L. Harrigan, Pierce County Court Reporter, age 69, died June 11, 1948. Sherman W. Lyons, Tacoma Police Detective Lieutenant, age 46, died on October 28, 1948. James W. Selden, Bird's defense attorney, age 76, died on November 26, 1948. According to the Tacoma News Tribune, all of the men died from a heart attack. Two months before Jake's death, a sixth man, who was a Washington State Penitentiary guard assigned to death row, died of pneumonia. Were these men's deaths all a coincidence, or was it something more malevolent? How did Jake react to these deaths? He laughed and said, quote, 
Nothing to it. Never felt better in my life. End quote. It is rumored that he also put a hex on a few of his fellow prison inmates, and supposedly six of them died. However, that's just gossip that can't be proven, and could be like a game of telephone. The next day after he brewed the hex, on December 7, 1947, Jake Bird was being taken to the Washington State Pen in Walla Walla, where he would spend his time waiting to be hanged. It was after getting to the penitentiary that Jake began to reveal all of the crimes he committed over the last 20 years that no one knew about. The governor, prosecutor, and Tacoma police detective were contacted to go to the penitentiary to hear what Jake had to say, and finally, on January 6, 1948, a month later, they listened to Jake as he needed to, quote, clear his conscience. The prosecutor made sure to tell the public, quote, We want to give him a chance to tell it but we don't intend to permit him to use what he might have withheld as a means to add a few days to his life, End quote. These confession notes that the prosecutor and detective took ended up being 174 pages to send to the governor. While Jake had been working on the railroad and taking the train state to state, he was taking lives all along his travels. It's suspected that he murdered upwards of 44 people. Some believe the police blamed a lot of unsolved murders on Jake Bird because it was easy, but reportedly Jake Bird did know enough about the murders to be a prime suspect. Eleven murders beyond a reasonable doubt were committed by Jake in Louisville, Kentucky, Omaha, Nebraska, Kansas City, Kansas, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Cleveland, Ohio, Orlando, Florida, and Portage, Wisconsin. In the murders that were confirmed to have been committed by Jake, most of his victims were white females and most of them had their lives taken away from them with hatchets or axes while in their homes. While awaiting his death, psychiatrists studied Jake Bird and said he was a psychopath, that he developed a sick satisfaction when he saw women shrinking down and recoiling in fear. Jake was supposed to be hanged on January 14, 1949, but his new attorney requested a move for a stay of execution to allow him to appeal. The motion was allowed, but only if the court would agree to look over the case, which the U.S. Court of Appeals refused to do. The judge set the new execution date for July 15th, 1949. Again, Jake's defense attorney filed a motion for stay of execution so Jake could file another appeal, but the motion was rejected, and the execution date stayed the same. The night before his death, Thursday, July 14, 1949, Jake had his last meal while talking to his attorney for a few hours. He said to his attorney that he could be a good loser about the whole thing if he believed that everything possible had been done in an attempt to save his life. Later that night, he was taken to a cell near the gallows. There, Jake had his head shaven and was given new clothes. The clock struck midnight on July 15, 1949, and Jake's time was up. 
he was walked from his cell to the gallows. 125 witnesses were there, but Jake said nothing at first. While he had the noose around his neck, above the trap door, a volunteer prison chaplain began to read a note that Jake had written that said he didn't have any spite towards anyone, and he hoped that he could be forgiven for all the wrong that he had done. Before the chaplain could even finish the note, the trap door flew open and Jake Bird plummeted five feet below to his demise at 12.20 a.m. He hung and swayed for about 14 minutes, then was removed from the rope and a physician pronounced him deceased. Jake was buried in an unmarked grave in the prison graveyard, only to be recognized as convict number 21520. Jake had left his riches of $6.15 to his appeals attorney. He may not have been formally educated, but he did achieve a smidgen of notoriety as a, quote, jailhouse lawyer. Since, as we know, Jake many times argued his own case in front of the court, he did have a good bit of knowledge about the law. Plus, he had people against the death penalty on his side and successfully prolonged his execution. That's how he gained the nickname and infamy. Even though Jake could have murdered upwards of 44 people across the U.S., his case did not get noticed much in the national press at all. However, he is recognized in history of murderers to be one of America's most prolific serial killers. Unfortunately, there is no information or even names that I could find of the other victims of Jake Bird. This concludes today's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening, and until next time, stay safe and take care. Well, that's all, folks. We yep. hope you enjoyed that. Uh, check the show notes for details on where to find out more about today's feature and also about the Darkcast Network. Yeah. In the meantime, where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com, and you can find us on all the social medias using Fruit Loops Pod. Our Facebook discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. <laughs> oh, you don't say. <laughs> yeah. And if you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops podcast app, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. Now this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. 
the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.